Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose and today I'd love to talk about tantrums in particular but also as well as tantrums crying, shaking, sweating, <laughs> uh, laughter, therapeutic play and talking. You may wonder what on earth all of those things have in common. So what I'm going to talk about today is really the, the physiology of the stress response and healing from the stress response. And these are really looking at a physiological level. Now you may notice in my work, if you've been following my work for a while, that really my forte is more on feelings. And in terms of a psychospiritual approach, I really am passionate about including all the levels of a human being, which includes body, feelings, mind, soul, spirit, energy, and anything and everything else. Um, but my forte is definitely not physiology or um, neurophysiology or any of those systems. So I'm going to be talking at quite a basic level here. Um, all of these things also completely relate to feelings because as we know, we're an integrated system and body and feelings and mind are all interrelated. But what I find is this is a really helpful model to really understand um, tears and tantrums in particular with children in a way that, um, yeah, that can really, really help parents. So let's think of uh, us in terms of our history as human beings, that we've really come from a long, long time ago being hunter-gatherers. Most of us aren't hunter-gatherers anymore, although I know there are Lots of people on our beautiful planet who still are, which I think is a wonderful thing. But many of us have lost that connection um, with the earth and also with our bodies and feelings. So I've really been looking at the history of consciousness and really seeing that in the West in particular, but in the East as well, there's been for really thousands of years this deep um, valuing of the mind and this deep devaluing of the body and feelings. But if you go back and look at a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, you'll see that many of the systems that we have in place are still operating, that were really, really helpful in those times. And if we can understand those systems and really value them again, they can be really, really helpful now. So I'm sure you've heard of uh, the flight or fight mechanism. So in any stressful situation, our bodies are amazing. They're um, really set up to to be adaptive in these kind of stressful situations and the fight or flight mechanisms really again at a basic level <laughs> and if you're an expert on uh on understanding all these things you'll be like why isn't she talking about ACTH or or cortisol all these things so if you if you are an expert <laughs> my apologies and if you want to learn more about this there is so much information out there to really understand on a deep level uh, all of these complex um, system. So I'm going to talk really basic level here. So fight or flight, the basic thing is uh, at those times when we may have, let's talk saber-toothed tigers, <laughs> we may have a predator coming to possibly attack us. The most helpful thing in that situation is to mobilize our body's resources to be able to fight or flee. 
So that means that, that really digestion's not going to be that helpful. Going to sleep's not going to be that helpful. Um, so the blood flow moves away from, from digestion and really goes to the arms and legs ready to mobilize if we need to fight or to, to run away. In some situations where that didn't seem to be possible or it seemed like that wasn't going to be the most helpful thing, we also have the freeze response, which again, if you're an expert in this area, you'll know that it's, there's so much more complexity to, the, to it than this. But on a basic level, the freeze response was when, uh, yeah, fight or flight's probably not going to work and it's going to be most helpful to actually to be slowing the breathing down so 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 we actually look dead basically to actually freeze physically um, and also in terms of sensations so again the adaptiveness of that of course is animals will generally not eat other animals including ourselves if if the animal they're chasing the prey is actually still because it may be sick or maybe already dead, it may be something wrong with it. So that's not going to be a healthy uh, meal choice. The other reason is, is, is really preparing for death. If we're going to get attacked by something and it's going to be excruciatingly painful, obviously, there's the amazing this body system that we have to actually dull sensation. So it's actually, um, you know, again, our amazing bodies that are really set up to to help us in all these different situations. So once the saber-toothed tiger has left, so the stressful situation has apparently left, we have another amazing system in place. And this is where the tears and the tantrums and the shaking and sweating and the laughing and the playing, all these things come into operation. Because once we've mobilized all these stress hormones and all this um, available energy to fight or to flee, then this is all still, unless we've actually done those things, this is all still there in the body. So the next thing that the body has available to it is to actually release those stress hormones and that tension and all that stored energy in the body that was mobilized. And the way we do that is through crying, because tears have stress hormones in them, they have ACTH in them. So it's a way of releasing stress hormones from the body. Uh, also crying if you've ever done any uh, in-depth uh, healing work that involved crying you'll probably notice that crying is often not just the tears there's often a lot of movement with it if you've been with your baby or child who's been crying to release stress you'll see that often it's a very vigorous thing so part, part of that is if you think about all that energy in the arms or the legs it's actually releasing that, um, that energy that was available and ready to be able to fight or flee. Uh, the same thing with raging, similar thing, the movement, the, the releasing of the stored energy, similar with laughter, similar with shaking is really particularly helpful in terms of um, after scary, frightening uh, situations to, to shake, to actually release the tension and actually many animals do this as well if you've seen if you want to see a video of this if you go and look on youtube and look up polar bear shaking there's a, a beautiful video of a polar bear that was um that was tranquilized to do something i think that was helpful for it and then after the tranquilizers wore off it got up and started shaking you may even see that if you have a dog um you know animals will shake 
we also have some rabbits that live with us and it's very easy to see the freeze mechanism in them and how they actually don't look alive or in that when they're in that freeze mode so again these are these being really adaptive mechanisms that we are born with not only to deal with a stressful situation but to come back to homeostasis after the stressful situation so that's what all these things are based on they're there designed to help us come back to homeostasis to actually release those stress hormones from the body to release that tension from the body to actually come back to feeling that calm and relaxation in the body the thing is as i was saying that uh, because our culture has had for so long this very um, judgmental view of body and feelings in particular in the in the west but also in many eastern cultures as well it's so much often about transcendence of the body um, in the east in the west with our particularly the greek lineage the the great valuing of the mind and the intellect and great devaluing of the body and the feelings that we still live in that culture so for example if you look at tantrums um, Aletha Salter who invented Aware Parenting who's so much of my work is based on by the way she's got some wonderful books and one of her books is called Tears and Tantrums and she talks about the history of cultural perceptions around tantrums and in the middle ages uh, tantrums were often seen as the child um, being possessed by the devil so there would be someone would come in and do a, a depossession uh, ritual so if you think about it now and you think about much of the um, more mainstream parenting at the moment still seen as tantrums being a sign of, uh, I'm going to put all these in inverted commas, misbehavior, um, manipulation and just basic badness. And I really see this as still these vestiges of these cultural beliefs that we've held for, for thousands of years. I did write an article recently, you can find it on my website, marionrose.net, about the different beliefs that we have. So the beliefs that we hold about tantrums in particular, or feelings in general, um, will deeply and profoundly affect uh, how we feel if a child is having a tantrum and how we will respond. So you know, I, for me, I'm, I really value deep compassion for all of us as parents and children. And to really, what my passion is, is not to try and persuade anyone to believe the same as me. What I really deeply value is um, inviting us as parents to keep on inquiring, inquiring within to see if what we're believing about our children, about human nature, about ourselves resonates with us. And if it doesn't, to, to, to do the research, to find information until we find things that do resonate. And to me, that's the beautiful thing is, um, I don't believe in right and wrong, but I do believe in the importance of us listening to ourselves and, and searching for information in the world that resonates with us. And then experimenting with that with our children and trying it out and then observing what happens and then coming back so that we're on this continual journey of learning and inner listening and observing our children and and that relational uh, learning journey so history of tantrums yes yeah, so if you think about that then the next piece i'd love to share is again in this adaptive sense if you look at this in a long-term perspective if we had just had this incidence with the saber-toothed tiger 
and um, we're about to start, well, let's say a child, a child's about to start crying after that or, or raging after that experience. But then there's a sense that the saber-toothed tiger actually might be just around the corner still. It's also really adaptive for us to have mechanisms to also prevent that release mechanism from operating, which is what we also have. If you've done any um, body psychotherapy, somatic psychotherapy, if you've ever looked into um, you know, any of the work on um, body armoring, we see that we have these amazing ways to stop these processes, to, to stop crying. There are lots of muscles that we can tense up to actually prevent crying happening. Uh, to stop raging, to stop laughing, to stop shaking. There are lots of uh, literal, often muscular mechanisms, and there are other ones as well that we can use. And again, those would have been adaptive because if it's if we're not in a place where it's safe to cry and rage and shake, it may not be safe. It's going to be really adaptive to be able to stop that from happening. So let's go back to our cultural history. If we live in this history this cultural history which devalues the body and feelings in particular crying and raging and laughter and shaking and all of those things, then we're going to use those same adaptive mechanisms to actually keep us safe. So if you grow up in a family where, you know, and each family is different, has a different lineage around each different feeling. So some feeling, some families you know, crying might be welcomed, but raging and tantrums, no way. <laughs> Or, or laughter might not be welcome, but, but raging is. So whatever family we grew up in, we would have been observing right from, well, in utero, but particularly uh, from birth onwards to the responses to our feelings. And in this, state, this case, because we're talking more physiology, these, these natural relaxation and healing mechanisms to actually release the stress hormones and the tension from our bodies, we would be observing and if it looks like when we're when we're when we're trying to rage or we're trying to cry, we're trying to laugh, that actually we observe around us that that that's not welcome. We would be using these same mechanisms. That's not that's not the thing to do. It's perhaps not safe. We may have even experienced as children being shamed, being punished, um, sent to time out, all kinds of things. Have, if we had a tantrum or we started crying trying to release these feelings so what I really value is is really valuing all these different mechanisms that are amazing body mind feelings psyche soul spirit whatever you want to call it, the wholeness of us all these things are set up to actually care for us and to understand that to be deeply compassionate with that and also to know as parents, if you if we do have children, that we live still in this culture which fundamentally is uncomfortable with with feelings and with natural body processes. If you think about it, you know, food and eating fairly comfortable with that, but birth still not really very comfortable with that as a culture. Death not really no, <laughs> so many things that were actually um, are still. Uh, cloaked in a whole lot of judgment, shame, uh, discomfort, all of those things. So even if we're aiming to listen to our children's feelings and support them in staying connected with these natural mechanisms, we to still understand we live in this wider culture 
and that it's much harder to support our children in those natural processes in the culture that we're in. But to also know, you know, if perhaps you're newer to this idea and perhaps you have, um, you know, if your child has been trying to cry to release stress or um, to rage and tantrum and you have uh, inadvertently or ad advertently to stop them and you know that can be even the most loving of ways you know to to distract them there are many many ways we can stop children from these these natural processes is to know that because they're inbuilt in us it's never too late to actually cooperate with those processes again and one of the main ways is is that signaling piece to actually let them know that the environment is welcoming of those mechanisms and those feelings and one of the main ways we can do that is our own comfort with those feelings in ourselves so if, for example if we are deeply uncomfortable with our own crying or raging or shaking or laughing and that's generally because we grew up in families where that wasn't welcome so we would have internalized all of that is often to to get support particularly really helpful is because of because we're such social beings is to work with someone or be with someone who is comfortable with that feeling so that we can cry and that person there is a hundred percent comfortable with your crying and they can be there and they have absolutely no judgment or no fear or no concern because they can be with their own crying in their bodies so that you get that um, signaling through their body language, through their relaxation, their bodies, through their eye contact, through their tone, through the words that they're using, that your feelings are welcome, that this process is deeply trustable and that you can trust that in yourself. And through experiencing that, then often we come to then really embody it and then we can embody it for our children so that they again get that, that real nervous system physiological emotional sense that those feelings and those mechanisms are really welcome in them and the more we can do that the more we feel comfortable with those in ourselves the more we can be present with those in our children to welcome these amazing systems that we're born with now the other thing i tend to think of as well is is to really have such compassion for ourselves the way i like to think of it uh, at the moment is to see that there is often these relationships between this gorgeous natural mechanism we have to laugh, to rage, to cry, to shake, to play, to talk after stressful situations. And also those amazing, also natural mechanisms we have to stop that happening that we most of us learned and discovered as younger people growing up in the culture that we did. And often there's this, this dialogue between these two parts of us, perhaps the perhaps wanting to cry and there's an, and then perhaps our muscles in our shoulders and jaw and eyes and diaphragm are preventing that from happening. And what I found and, and what I'm passionate about in my work with clients in particular is, um, as adults is to have deep compassion for what I call these repression mechanisms because they were there to keep us safe in a climate or an environment where those feelings weren't welcome or where the people around us didn't understand or didn't have the capacity or um, yeah, just didn't really know what was going on for us and couldn't be present with those feelings. And what I found is the more we can really be compassionate and actually deeply celebratory of all these different mechanisms, you know, the one 
to prepare us in stressful situations, the one to um, to release the stress hormones and the tension after stress, and the ones to um, prevent us from using those stress release mechanisms, that the more we can be compassionate and celebratory of those in ourselves, but also in our children, um, the, the more ease there is. Whereas if we're judging any one of those, which is, you know, very possible in our culture again to judge any or all of those is often things are a lot harder so doing that work around really finding deep compassion and celebration for these amazing things you know that our body and our feelings and our physiology and our minds are really set up to um, help us flourish and help us survive help protect us help care for us and the more we can understand them and appreciate them more appreciate them the more we can work with them and just a little note, you know, nowadays, of course, stress is can be anything, you know, for a baby that can be going out in the car, for a child that can be, you know, even a birthday party, there's that classic thing, isn't there? It can be, a child can have a beautiful day having a, having a birthday party, but can often have a big tantrum at the end of the day because there's lots of stimulation. So stress can be many, 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 many things in our modern day lives. So if this resonates with you and you would like to find out more, again, I really recommend Aletha Salter's book, Tears and Tantrums. I have lots of free and paid uh, resources on my website, which is marionrose.net. For example, I have a, uh, a free intro course to making friends with children's feelings and a paid version of that course, making friends with children's feelings. That's just one of the many resources I have around this um lots as well around our own inner work and and deep compassion for ourselves so i'd love to invite you to connect in how do you feel after listening to this are there any is there anything that particularly stood out to you uh is there anything you'd like to do would you like to do some more research um is there anything that you'd like to do differently with yourself or if you have a child or children or work with children anything that that you'd like to shift or change around how you respond to crying raging laughing playing those kinds of things i didn't talk much about the laughing or playing things again i do have more resources on that and we'll talk about those in other podcasts so i'm sending you so much love and compassion and i look forward to talking to you in the next podcast <laughs>